Well, good morning, church. Y'all are awake. It is great to be with all of you this morning. As Pastor Jeff said, I'm Emma Murphy, the Congregational Care Pastor here at Mount Horeb, and it is always wonderful to be here in the sanctuary with you. This is my third week in a row in the sanctuary, and I love being here. Um, the past two weeks I've been assisting, and this week I get to continue in our road trip as we travel through the biblical text together. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, road trips are really not my thing. And it's probably because I have very vivid memories growing up traveling in my mom's white van with my three brothers. Um, smelly boys, long hours, very little room, need I say more? So even though I don't love being in the car that long, I have really enjoyed going through the scriptures with all of you these past few weeks. Pastor Jeff kicked off our series two weeks ago as we took a trip to the garden, remembering the importance of creation and being made in the image of God. Last week, Dr. Bill traveled with us to the mountain as we learned about the significance of law. Dr. Bill taught us that God's commandments are motivated by love and they are ultimately guideposts to living the good life. And this week, we continue our trip and take a quick stop at the Capitol building. The Capitol building, a place that represents our government. In South Carolina, this building houses our South Carolina General Assembly and the offices of governor and lieutenant governor. It's a place that symbolizes rule, reign, and authority. And so today we are going to travel to a time in Israel's history that was marked by monarchy, a time where Israelites were ruled by kings. Our text today comes from the book of 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 through 30 and 41 through 43. This is what it says. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart. The covenant that, I kept, that you kept for your servant, my father David, as you declared to him, you promise with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. Therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant, my father David, that which you promised him, saying, There shall never fail you a successor before me to sit on the throne of Israel. If only your children look to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you promised to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Oh, here in heaven, your dwelling place, heed and forgive. Now skipping ahead to verse 41. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your great name, 
for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. Have you ever been to a ribbon cutting ceremony? This big event is the climax of weeks, months, maybe even years of preparation. And during this planning time, people work together to build and establish a new organization or or location or franchise or building or business. They spend tireless hours having meetings and prepping for this grand opening event. And when it is finally finished and ready to be launched, they invite their friends and their family and prominent folks in the community and the media, of course, to document this celebratory occasion. And when everyone is gathered, they take their ginormous scissors, just like this on the screens, and cut that large ribbon that is strung up in front of this new place. It's a ceremonial opening of something brand new, something exciting something long anticipated. And this is kind of how I imagine the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings. This temple was long awaited by the Israelites. But before we get too deep in our passage this morning, it's important for us to do a brief overview of how we got here and why this event is so important. So we're gonna travel pretty quickly, so bear with me. On our first week of this road trip through the Bible, we learned that the peace of the garden was broken by the entrance of sin in the book of Genesis. And so throughout Genesis, we witness the destructive results of sin. But then we get to Genesis 12 and God makes a covenant with Abraham that one day he will become a great nation. But the understanding in this covenant, in this agreement, is that since God will bless Abraham, Abraham will therefore use that blessing to be a blessing to others. And so this theme of covenant and faithfulness and blessing continues through the story of Israel. We follow it with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then in Joseph's story, we learn that he is sold into slavery by his brothers. But despite their best efforts, Joseph eventually comes to power in Egypt. And so Egypt becomes at first a safe haven for the Israelites during a famine. But when a new Pharaoh takes over, the Israelite people are enslaved. And then enters our good pal Moses. Moses is tasked with the big job of helping these imprisoned Israelites escape out of Egypt. And spoiler alert, they escape and end up wandering in the wilderness as they head to the promised land. And as we discussed last week, this is the time where Moses is given the law at Mount Sinai. And so as the Israelites are continue to wander through the wilderness, God tells Moses to build the tabernacle. It's a tent-like structure that would serve as a sanctuary for Yahweh. It was a reminder of God's constant presence and the covenant that God made with Abraham all those years ago. As the Israelites traveled through the, the desert, so did the tabernacle. Through the struggles and trials of the journey, God was there. 
And so when the Israelites finally get to the promised land, they're finally settled there and they're under the reign of King David, David decides he wants to build a permanent dwelling place for the Lord. But God told David that he was not gonna be the one to build the temple. Rather, David's son Solomon would complete it. And then we arrive in 1 Kings 8. Here we are, the time has finally come. The temple is finished and King Solomon stands in front of the entire assembly of Israel to present and unveil this incredible structure. At the beginning of chapter eight, Solomon addresses the Israelites, reminding them of God's faithfulness to the promises God has made to Israel. And then we reach our passage for the day. This prayer I read, King Solomon's prayer of dedication. Solomon spreads out his hands to heaven and prays to Yahweh before the crowd of Israelites. You see, chapter eight is the climax of the book of 1 Kings. For many chapters, the story has been building up to this very moment. As Solomon begins to pray, he first focuses on this key theme that we have witnessed repeatedly throughout Israel's history, covenant. Solomon praises God in these first five verses for remaining loyal to the covenant God made with David. And while Solomon is directly referring to the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises that a descendant of David will reign over God's people, it is also a continuation of all the covenants made throughout the history of Israel. Solomon glorifies God for all the great things God has done. God has been faithful to the covenant. God has kept the promises God made. God has shown great love to the Israelites despite their sinfulness. Solomon also prays that God will continue to keep promises. Specifically the promise that one of David's ancestors will remain on the throne if they stay obedient to God. These first five verses of Solomon's heartfelt prayer center on God's character and actions and commitment. And while this first section does highlight God's greatness, it also demonstrates the high point of Solomon's reign as an earthly king. It validates the importance of Solomon's leadership and evokes high regard for this incredible king and this incredible temple. For this long awaited temple is finally here and Solomon is revered for having completed his father David's wishes. And more than that, Solomon is admired for his obedience to God. You see, the word servant is used four times in this first section. While Solomon is king of Israel, he sees himself and his father, King David, first as servants of God. He may be the earthly king, but he's only willing to take up this mantle of leadership because he views himself as a servant of God, a servant of the divine king. And this obedience illustrates once again that there is shalom in the kingdom of Israel. But then we get to a shift in Solomon's prayer, verse 27. After spending five verses praising God's faithfulness in the completion of the temple, Solomon declares, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. If Solomon knows that this temple is gonna have limitations and is not going to be God's permanent home, why even choose to build it? 
The temple, however, is not just a house of prayer or a gathering place for the Israelites. This temple exemplifies significant characteristics of who God is. It is an establishment of God's eternal enthroning. It is a reminder of God's divine kingship. Solomon's prayer reveals two very important attributes about the beautiful mystery of the divine king. This text teaches us that our God is both transcendent and imminent. Two big theology words. We're going to break those down this morning. Let me show you what I mean. Last month, Truman and I went on vacation to Virgin Gorda in the British Virgin Islands. And it is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. One afternoon, we went to this amazing little lunch spot called Hog's Heaven, which is situated um, at the highest point of the island. And at this restaurant, there is a spot that overlooks Virgin Gorda. Hog's Heaven has great ribs, but an even better view. Here it is on the screen. Don't you wish you were there right now? Yeah. As I stood there at the overlook and gazed out, it almost took my breath away. This picture doesn't even do it justice. The water and the sky seemed to go on forever. You could see the beauty of Virgin Gorda, but also several other islands that surrounded it. And so as I looked over this vast creation, all I could think was, wow, how amazing is our God. Our God is transcendent. Our God surpasses all understanding. Our God cannot be contained. But then I remembered where I was. I was there. This small human standing next to, might I add, my very handsome husband at this restaurant. This vast view became smaller and closer as I shifted my perspective. Our God is imminent. God is really there with us. This temple that Solomon built could not contain God. God is creator and ruler of God. Our God is bigger than capital buildings and sanctuaries and temples. Our God reigns above the world in both position and power. God created every island, every sea, every cloud, every creature, the heavens, the angels, everything. All things are subject to God. All things are under the control and authority of the Almighty King. But then what do we see right after verse 27? Solomon asserts, Regard your servant's prayer and his plea that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, My name shall be there. This transcendent God that cannot be contained by the temple also dwells in the temple. God's name is there, which is the Old Testament way of affirming that God is truly present. God is not only transcendent, but also imminent. Our awesome God who rules and reigns above all things also desires to have an intimate relationship with creation, an intimate relationship with us. As we have seen time and time again, God dwells with God's people in the most personal and covenantal way. This goes all the way back to the beginning of the biblical text in Genesis when God has promised God's people, I will be with you. I will be with you. And the heart of this covenantal promise is fully revealed through the person of Jesus, Emmanuel. God with us. 
our transcendent God, the creator of the entire universe, took on flesh and walked among us. God came in the form of a tiny baby in a manger surrounded by stinky animals. You can't get much more present than that. And not only that, but right before Jesus leaves this earth and is crucified, God promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. The Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, constantly dwells in and around us. God's intention from the very beginning is to draw nearer and nearer and nearer to creation. And this is good news, not only for the Israelites, for the Jews, for God's chosen people, but for everyone. For anyone that chooses God as the ultimate authority in their life. Solomon declares this in his prayer in verses 41 through 43. The temple is accessible to everyone, even the foreigner. God is accessible to everyone. And so friends, what does this mean for us today? Well, first, it's a hopeful reminder that God wants to be in covenantal relationship with us. If we experience anything in this passage, is that God is faithful and loyal in relationships. Our God desires to know us deeply and personally, each and every one of us. But second, it leaves us with a question, with a challenge. Church, will you allow the Spirit of God to dwell within you? When we allow the spirit of God to dwell within us, God is seated on the throne of our hearts. God is the one that rules and reigns in our lives. We look to God for guidance and decisions. We desire to strengthen our relationship with the Lord. We serve and live obediently to God. We look different from the world around us. And as individuals, this means that we, have, we are a direct expression of who God is. Our lives, our choices, our attitudes reflect those of Christ Jesus. We become beacons of light and hope in this very dark world. And as a community, as the body of Christ, this means that we have the great responsibility of holding up our end of the covenant, the promise to be a blessing to others. When we allow the spirit of God to dwell within us, when God is seated on the throne of our hearts, we love others unconditionally and sacrificially. We use our gifts and graces for the building up of the church. We seek to live in peace with others. We fight for justice for those that are oppressed. We work together in unity and in love for the furthering of the kingdom of God. While Solomon's prayer teaches us that we have the assurance that God was, is, and will always be with us, will we remain faithful to God? Will we allow God to sit on the throne of our hearts? Will we reach out in compassion for the world? Will we tell others about the great name of Jesus? Will we allow the spirit of God to dwell within us? Would you pray with me? 
Loving Father, we thank you today for your faithfulness, for the assurance that you are always with us. You are the creator of the universe, but also desire to have an intimate relationship with each of us. What a gift. Lord, we know at times that we have failed to be obedient to you. Forgive us this morning for the times that we have sinned against you. But God, today, help us to surrender our lives to you. Help us to make you the one that sits on the throne of our hearts. Help us to reflect your love and compassion and joy to the world. Amen.